limited where the work of the gospel can happen in the life of the church. And so, and because of this, our unconscious thinking says, God is only at work in, in the sanctuary, sanctuary, where the people are singing and the pastor is preaching. And that's where God's at work. And because, and because we can have this, this mindset, our, our kids, I believe, get unintentionally neglected in the spiritual nurture they could be receiving from those in their church family. I mean, just think about your own family, like your immediate blood-related family, okay? Some of you would say that it's wrong, it would be wrong to withhold your kids from a relationship with their brothers or sisters. You just didn't let them talk to them, or you kept them away, or, or their aunts or uncles or their grand, grandparents. You would think that's wrong. That's wrong. That's, that's unhealthy. They need those relationships, They need those people around them if they're healthy people. But this is exactly what happens in the church. We we withhold these sorts of relationships from our kids to their detriment. And this is not what Paul has in mind at all. There There is a subordinate goal here, as Jonathan Edwards would say, with families within the family of the church. And that is that we are taking our cues from our supreme end of glorifying God and then applying this to parenting. Because Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, if you have been if you have been changed by the gospel, if you have been changed by the gospel, if you say I believe in Jesus and I hold fast to the gospel message that is proclaimed, Paul says if you believe that, That, therefore, changes everything about you. There is nothing that is off limits from the gospel. So that means you have a new life. That means you have uh, new convictions and new relationships and a whole new way of living and parenting. So this means you no longer take your cues from the standards of this world, or that cool social media mom or dad that has one kid and somehow thinks they're an expert because they can get on Instagram and tell you how to do things. Because it's only the gospel that enables you to cast this sort of vision and cultivate this sort of culture within your home. And Paul shows us how to do that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, by giving us some prescriptive commands. This doesn't always happen, but these are prescriptive commands when it comes to parenting. Just going to read it again. And everybody should be listening. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, by the way. That it may go well with you and all that you may, all that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is a text, just confessing, that some like myself love to quote to their children when they are not honoring and obeying. So we, so we pull out Ephesians uh, 6.2 and say, you're supposed to honor and obey me. That's what the Bible says. So we use it as a, as a tool for discipline. 
sometimes harsh discipline, rather than as a tool for discipleship. And we do that because we don't look at the whole picture. Because these verses are implying that parents do have a massive responsibility toward their children, but it also implies that parenting involves the whole family, parents and kids. So, so kids are not just your, uh, are not your little subordinates to boss around or, or merely to tolerate until they're out of the house. Some of you might be in that. I just got to survive until they turn 18 and then my hands are off. We as parents have a duty towards our children, not just our children having a duty towards us. So two things I'll say about how Ephesians 6 helps us cast a vision for the gospel and cultivate a gospel culture within our families. Just using the words that are here. For, for the first one, it's just obedience and honor. And how does that relate to the whole family? And second is discipleship. So one, obedience and honor. Two, discipleship. <coughs> so first, obedience and honor. So Tara and I have often told our kids as they've grown up that there are only two things that they are really called to do from the Bible that, that brings God glory. And they're found right here in Ephesians 6.2. Obey and honor your parents. Obey and honor your parents. These are two specific commands directly aimed at kids. And on top of that, Paul adds, this is an encouragement, it's the first command with a promise. That if you do these things, you will, you will live long in the land, that, that it will go well for you, Paul says. So kids who are in the room understand that these commands mean, they don't just mean like, oh, I have to obey and honor my mom or dad, and that's, that just, that's just so, uh, I just don't like that. What, what this really means, kids, is that you are on God's mind, that, that God is thinking about you when he put this command in place. This is for you. He is thinking about you and showing you how to flourish as a human being on this earth. So if you don't think you're flourishing, if you don't think you're, you're living the good life, then you're probably not honoring and obeying your parents. Paul says that's what you're to do. That if you do these two things, it will go well for you and you will live long in the land. So I say that to begin so that you know that I know that Paul is first addressing children here. Okay, That is very direct, very clear that Paul is addressing children here. But I think the implied idea or an, an implied idea that's here is that parents must be worthy of the obedience and the honor in which God calls your children. Parents that are taking this gospel that Paul is proclaiming and then applying it to parenting their children. So that leaves us with some questions. Are you, first off, are you calling your children to obedience and honor? Are you calling them to that? This God-given command, are you calling them to that? Are you just, or are you just letting them do whatever they want? Are you calling them to obedience and honor? So, and then secondly, is, is your call for obedience and honor 
grounded in the gospel? Third, are you leading your children in such a way that they want to obey you? And then fourthly, are you shepherding your children in such a way that makes it easy for them to honor you? Now, I don't want to oversimplify the matter because this is not easy, this, this, this parenting uh, adventure that some of us are on. Any call to obedience and honor is going to take work because you're calling children who are fellow sinners to submit to your authority, and that does not come easy. I understand that. So Richard Koken, in his commentary, gives a helpful description of what this looks like. He writes, Children are naturally as sinful as their parents, and so they need both tons of disciplined love, not indulgence, and loving discipline, not bullying. Let me just read that again. Children are naturally as sinful as their parents, and so they need both tons of disciplined love, not indulgence, meaning you're just letting them get away with murder because you think you're you're showing them grace when you do that. That's not grace. And they also need loving discipline, not bullying. Which is the culture that we hope to build in our home as Christian parents, right? Because we don't, we don't want, to, want to be licentious. We don't want to just let our kids do whatever they want, but we also don't want to be legalistic to where we're just kind of just thumping them over the head with the Bible and say, do as I say or else. So let's make sure first and foremost that our calls to obedience and honor are gospel-centered because that's what Paul is getting at here. Everything is to be driven by the gospel. So first and foremost, when we call our children to obedience and honor, let it be grounded in the gospel. Uh, There's a a good book that's, I think it's a newer book. It's called Gospel Family. It's written by a guy named Jonathan Williams. But he says this. He says, how do we ensure that our family has the right leader? First, we must proclaim that the shepherd we need to lead our families is Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. He's the one who made us, knows us, loves us, provides for us, protects us, and lays down his life for us, his sheep. He's the only one who can lead, for he's not just the one who knows the way we need to go, but in his words, he is the way. And if he is to be the shepherd of our homes, then we need family shepherds who will follow the good shepherd and lead the rest of the family to do the same. So Paul is addressing Christians in his letter, and he assumes that these, cho- that, that these children that he's speaking to in these first three verses have parents that are honorable, not because they're good people or they have great jobs and they're, they're respected in their community, that they're honorable because they honor Christ, the good shepherd. And so that then makes them the family shepherds. So these are parents striving to raise children to know and love Jesus and to love his church. Parents, parents as Christians who are, who are living in a new, radical, countercultural way. So that when people look at how you parent, they should be experiencing the gospel at work, 
not another parenting style. So that means that you got to let people in on your life so that they can see you parent in every aspect. So they need to see you uh, disciplining. They need to see you screwing up and yelling at your kids. Because that I don't do that, but that happens, I've heard. Um, <laughs> but they need to see you in all matters of life. When people talk about my children, I have to say, just spend 24 hours with us. And the, whatever picture you have painted in your head that is lovely and great will be shattered. Because it's true, right? But even in the midst of all of that brokenness and all of that turmoil in, in parenting, because it's not easy, people should still be able to get glimpses of the gospel. So this doesn't happen simply because your child is well-behaved, but because you are living, because you, because you are living a consistent Christian life, personally and publicly for all the world to see, that flows into every part of your life, including being a dad or a mom. So now before you start slumping in your chairs because you don't feel like you do a good job at this, maybe you screwed up this morning on the way here or getting your kids ready, I know that happens a, a good bit, but let me point you to Psalm 127. I want you to turn there if you have a Bible. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Now, I love these, these verses because they're so uh, theocentric. They're so God-centered about children. I mean, honoring them and and putting them up in in a high regard as God sees them. But that's not what I want you to see. I mean, I want you to see that, but that's not the main point that I want you to see. Because do you know who wrote this psalm? King Solomon wrote this psalm. And if you're familiar with, with your Bible and the story of the Bible, you know who Solomon's mom is. Bathsheba. And you know the way in which his father, King David, acquired her through an adulterous relationship and the murder of her husband. That's how he, got, that's how he won this woman. And yet King Solomon, a child of David and Bathsheba, who, who, who knows the family secrets, because it was for all the world to see. We're still reading about it today in the Bible. He knows this all happened. He knows what his, his dad did. He still can write these words concerning children. So I think that, I think that says a lot about who David is. Because if you, if you read that account of David and Bathsheba, um, and then you further kind of read into it, you see that David is, is very repentant that David is sorrowful over his sin, that David suffers the consequences of his sin. His his child dies 
Uh, he has a son who tries to, tries to murder him and take the kingdom away from him. I mean, his life is, is, is turmoil from then on. But David is still someone that God, that God says is, is a man after my own heart. So, so King Solomon had to witness his father in how he handled sin. And how he handled these difficult situations that, that, that arose because of his sin. And then he modeled this to his children. They saw him living this out. Which is a great reminder that we are not perfect. I don't think any of you in here have done the things that David has done. If you have, please come speak to me afterwards. But this is a good reminder that we are not perfect. We won't do it perfectly. And yet God still chooses to use us to raise up these children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Which is what our second point gets at in verse 4. Discipleship. Paul writes back in Ephesians 6, Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul is using, uh, is turning his attention to fathers here, but just let me, to give you a side note, that if you're a mom that is doing this alone, if you're in this room and you're doing it alone, uh, you know, maybe you're a single mom, or your husband just doesn't do anything, (laughs) um, you, you, you'll have to assume some of this role yourself. Um, and I think a, a big part of that is inviting other men into this role on behalf of your kids. And we'll get to that, uh, why the church is so important a little later. But also, just in case moms are wanting to check out who are here, the word for father could also be used for mothers here as well. It's much like the word that we, that we see for brothers in the Bible. We can, we can, we can, uh, the Bible is inferring sisters too. It's not just talking to men there. It's also talking to brothers and sisters. It's also talking to women. So you're not off the hook here. So if you were thinking, I can go home and, uh, provoke my children to anger, but my husband can't, uh, that's, that's not, that's not biblical teaching. So Paul, so Paul gives two instructions in verse 4. Uh, one is a negative instruction, and the other is a positive instruction. So one, the negative, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. So this means very practically, don't provoke your children to anger with severe or relentless discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, inconsistent or unfair rules, constant criticism or humiliation or insensitivity to different seasons of a child's weaknesses, fears, and needs. So I think I can say at least that I have been guilty of just about everything on this list in my parenting journey. Because it's very easy to misuse the authority we've been given as a parent to sin against our kids in this way. We think, I'm the parent, therefore I'm justified. I can raise my voice, I can do whatever I want, I can speak to my kids however I want because I am the authority in this house. You live under my roof and you have to do as I say, not as I do. So part of this comes from, I think, a skewed view of children. 
Some of us truly believe that they are just cogs in the machine and not really useful until they become adults and can make mature, responsible contributions to society. Then I will respect them. Then I won't get so frustrated when I hear a baby cry in the middle of the service or a kid run down the aisle in the middle of the service because when they become mature and responsible, they, are, they can contribute. So people, even in the church, just like I mentioned, see kids as a distraction, that they are unimportant until they are old enough to understand and behave. So Charlotte Mason was a British educator in the early 20th century, I know this is right, Tyler, who wrote a lot about this idea that children are people. I mean, she overly emphasized this idea that children are people. And she wrote a series of books on education uh, just called the, a, a Philosophy of Education. Essentially, this is how I teach kids. This is how I educate kids. And she said this. It's just a very short um, quote. A child is a person with spiritual requirements and capabilities of a person. Let me just read that again. A child is a person with spiritual requirements and capabilities of a person, which, which means that children are capable of way more than you think or believe. I see kids right now taking notes. They're way more capable. They, some of you have children and you expect them to do well in calculus and trigonometry and uh, to make straight A's and, and literature and read books that you've never read before and, and ace the test and do all of this, that, and the other. You expect that and because, because you know why? Because you know they can do it. You know they have the capabilities of doing so. Yet we don't transfer that into the church. We don't transfer that into Christianity because we think, well, they're not, they can't understand the Bible. So the way, that you, the way in which you transform this temptation to provoke your children to anger is to see them as precious gifts from God, that God has given them to you, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, Solomon says. So that's the negative. Don't provoke your kids to anger. Second, the positive, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the words here, the, the phrase bring them up actually means to nourish or nurture your children. So, so you are nourishing your children through discipline and instruction. Now, I know the word discipline, it, it, you know, it doesn't hit right with, with a lot of people because it, it's a word that we don't necessarily like. It gives us visions of, of, of pain and suffering and that discipline is not fun. But just like anything we're attempting to do in life, discipline is always involved. Now, some of your translations uh, may have the word training instead of discipline to kind of ease the blow a little bit. It can mean training too, but I think it eases the blow a little bit. But let me just, let me just bring this together for you. So, so me and three of my kids uh, train in jujitsu, and, and, and we all know that if we want to get better at, at this sport that we're involved in, we have to, we have to put in the work. It, it, we have to train. And so, and so sometimes that work that we're putting in requires pain and a little bit of suffering. I mean, I have a, one deformed ear already because of that. 
just to prove that point. But any sort of training or work that you are going to do or discipline that you're going to, to push into is going to involve pain. It's going to involve pain. So the same is true for training and disciplining our kids. If we don't put in the work of corrective discipline with our children early, we cannot expect anything remarkable to happen. So I'm always quick to tell people when they find out we spanked our kids. I know people feel differently about those things. If you want to talk about it later, that's fine. We can do that. But, but I'm always very quick to say that when they find out and they kind of you know, are taken aback by that, I, I would say, I always say, we did not spank them as much as you would think. If you're were, if you were doing that, if you're disciplining correctly, you don't have to do it a lot, actually. Because we're training our children to obey and honor, and to not obey and honor, uh, they knew there would be consequences because of that. Just like there is in all of life, right? As one father of four said about parenting young children, he says, you must win the battle of wills or your child will grow up to find it impossible to take direction from a teacher or employer and impossible to accept the critique of the Bible at church. You must win the battle, parents. But the correction of behavior is only part of what Paul is getting at. There is a a foundation for our discipline, and that foundation is the Bible. We are not just to discipline, but to instruct our children, not in psychology or uh, behavior modification, but Paul says we are to do this in the Lord. In the Lord. So the words instruction of the Lord are comprehensive in that they are communicating both parenting in a Christian manner and teaching our children the Christian faith. So in it, you guys have heard me rave about this book before, but it's a, I, think it's, I think it's the best parenting book uh, out there right now called Faith That Lasts by John Nielsen. And there are two copies out on the book table um, if you want to read those. But he writes this. He says, Far too often it is another gospel that we are actually preaching. Our kids are not rejecting Jesus, but the substitute for him that we are pushing on them. We need to ensure that the true life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation for everything we do in parenting. So you you may have heard me give this equation before. This is not unique to me. Somebody else said it. I just forgot who said it, but I will continue to state it. But it's, it's this equation. Stated belief plus actual practice equals actual belief. Stated belief plus actual practice equals actually belief. So, so what you say you believe plus how you live your life or practice what you say you believe equals what you actually believe. That's what the equation is. And I think sometimes as parents, we say we believe one thing, but when it comes to the actual practice of parenting, we don't do it according to our stated belief. So assuming that would, your stated belief would be Christianity. So what we end up doing, what John Nielsen is talking about here, is what we end up giving our children is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. 
So a few ways, a few application points here to, to, to hopefully uh, remedy, remedy this a little bit and to begin to model uh, the true gospel to our kids. And this is taken from or adapted from Richard Koken's commentary on this, who is also a parent and a grandparent, so he's got some wisdom on me. But the first thing is this, stay married. Stay married. And if and if you're not in that boat right now, and and you have you have been divorced, if if it is possible to pursue peace with that other parent, um, do it. So stay married, and be there for your children as far as is possible, especially at key moments in their life. So we always talk about being a team that you're, you're trying to be on the same page with, with the other parents. So you're always on a team together in, in, in this parenting journey because if, if mom says, is always going to say one thing and dad says the other thing, you're always going to be at odds with your kids. This happened last night in Target. I won't name the child, but it happened. And, uh, it worked for him. Um. <laughs> So, but being a team, being on the same page, um, don't just let the other parent do all the work and call all the shots. I see a lot of dads do this. I see a lot of dads just let their wife do all of the work of parenting and they just kind of amble along behind them. Don't do that. You can be an absentee father even in your own home. You don't have to, to move away to do that. So do it together. God has given this responsibility to both of you. Second, love your spouse well. You've probably heard it said that the best thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Because children learn what loving faithfulness looks like from us, by looking at us. And then third, these, have, these aren't even directed at your children. So these are all directed at us as parents. But third thing is, and you're probably not surprised I'm going to say this, be a committed member of a local healthy church. That actually comes from Richard Koken out of his commentary. So he's just backing me up on this. But it's important to show your children that the, that the church is the dearest place and the dearest people on earth. Like you model that to your children. So, so if you are on a Saturday night tired and you say, you know what, tomorrow is Sunday, we're just going to skip so that we can have some rest. You are modeling to your children what is most important in your life. And it's not the church when you do that. So we need to model to our children that, that these men and women that we come to stand next to on a Sunday and talk with during the passing of the peace and hang out with before and after the service and, and throughout the week, that these, that these men and women are their spiritual family. There's some, there's some in our midst right now. Uh, I don't have any, uh, I do have a few relatives in here today, but I'm, they're on, they're on, they're on a vacation, so I'm not calling them out because they're not here, but, um, but there's other people in here that are not my blood relatives that my kids call aunt and uncle because we see them as spiritual family. They are important to our family, and so that we give them those names. We give them those titles. Those don't just belong to blood relatives. So let, them, let your kids come in and sit and worship and hear you singing and reading Scripture together. They're not too young for this. 
They're not too young for this. Some of my most encouraging text messages from parents or, or when kids just come up to me after the service are, are when they send me pictures of or they show me the notes that their three, four, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, up in the ten-year-olds, uh, and pictures that they've drawn from my sermons. You can draw pictures of the sermon if you want to, adults. And I get them all the time from kids, and they are wildly accurate with no help from mom and dad, or maybe a little prodding. But they are wildly accurate because they understand what is happening here. The Spirit is at work in them, just like he's at work in you. When we, when, we, when we have a call to worship and call on God to come and be with us, he's not just coming to be with the adults. He's coming to be with every soul in the room. That includes the littlest ones with us as well. And this, I think, is what will help you build a strong foundation for casting a vision and cultivating a gospel culture within your family because we are, we are disciplining and teaching our children so that one day this will naturally lead to our children's acceptance of the discipline and teaching of the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the, the gift that children are to us as parents, but also to all of us as a church family. This is not just a, a, a message for um, those who have had children, but it's also a message for all of us, that we are to see these children that you have placed before us and that you are bringing into our midst um, so often as precious gifts from you that they are, they are a heritage, that they are, they are the next generation and that we are to, to be bestowing the gospel upon them so that they can take it to their children and their children's children. So I, gotta, I pray that as a church that we would have a passion for that, of giving the gospel away to the next generation for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.